0: why am I doing this? Why am I killing myself for for something that everybody needs, but nobody understands?
1: Welcome to The Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan.
2: John, a very well welcome to The Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today.
0: Thank you very much for having us.
2: You are the co-founder and CEO at Inventa, a company that is disrupting the vending machine industry with connected smart technology. Before we talk about your company, I would like to learn more about your personal background. You studied management information systems at the University of North Carolina in the United States in the mid-19s, I think that was. Makes me sound very old. (laughs) (laughs) And I just wonder, when you finished your studies, did you dream of a yuppie future?
0: No, not really.
2: Um, I actually con- expected to continue
0: studying and, and maybe stay more in academia. But I also wanted to try my hand in startups. That was before the first bubble burst. So I thought it would be really fun. And I had done a lot of traveling
2: in school. So my ambition was to try living abroad. And yeah, you actually ended up in Switzerland. You also worked for numerous corporate shops along the way. So mm-hmm. we're all curious, how do you actually end up in Switzerland? How did that happen?
0: Well, I followed the snow and they have very good snow here. So I ended up moving to Engelberg because it has uh, some of the best uh, free riding in the Alps. So that's how I ended up here
2: and continue that journey today. And you said you you always wanted to work in in the startup world. Where does that entrepreneurial drive come from? Do you have any you know role models that inspired you? Maybe even in your family.
0: Uh, my father started his own company, but um, for me, I just thought it would be interesting to have constantly evolving roles. And my first job in Boston was actually a startup. Um, it was a bunch of kids from MIT and Harvard who who created this this little bubble for us, mm-hmm. and I. I got the bug it was really a fun and exciting place to be and i really liked that nobody really had a everybody had a fixed job but um, your responsibilities changed and evolved all the time as the company grew so somebody with a very short attention span it was very
2: a, a good fit and what then motivated you to also say hey i really want to start my own company not only work in a startup company but really start my own business
0: well i think um, all along I'd been considering it and we played around as with a lot of entrepreneurs that played around with some different ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, um, yeah, we just kind of got lucky and, um, I decided that I wanted to try and build something on my own together with some of the team members that I have today. We were in a ticket vending project, um, with ACS Xerox here in Switzerland, which is now called Conduint. Um, and yeah xerox decided to make things cheaper and move their team to to india Mm -hmm. and um i saw an opportunity then that we could actually all come together and use all of this experience from the ticket vending industry and build it into snack and drink machines and um yeah what was really interesting is that you see the snack and drink machines on the same on the same um, tracks as the ticket vending machines and they're really um they haven't changed since I was a boy, which you pointed out earlier that that's a very long time ago. Um, so, yeah, and I saw that as an opportunity. It's um, They're really in prime locations, but they're not really um, yeah, utilizing the, the space or the opportunity um, of advertising and um, optimizing the, the customer experience. So, yeah, we stepped forward and, and decided to do that. I brought Serge on and um, another one of our, our guys from the Xerox team, Oleg, and then we've, we've been building up from the team from there.
2: I think this happened in one uh, fateful stay in Philadelphia, what you just described. Can you talk a bit more about you know the hypothesis that you saw? You saw there's potential that is underutilized. How do you then go about testing and validating that? Because it could also be, that you're the only one that saw it that way, right?
0: Absolutely. And I think there was really a a cool opportunity. Another friend of mine owned a digital signage company. So um, understanding how the digital signage industry actually works and and basically how that space, one, how uh, over over, um, saturated that market actually is, but also how you can actually use it in the point of sale and, and directly start pushing consumers towards different things. Um, we saw just through the ticket vending, um, we worked a lot with the UI, um, no offense to SPB, but um, using SPB is the case of what not to do um, because it's way too complex um, and, and way too many steps. So we were trying to figure out how to simplify that. And through that experience, I saw really you can make things really cool. Um using a screen rather than actually having the products in place. And then um, another friend of mine owns a McDonald's and uh, understanding how the digital revolution was happening in fast food and using um, screens to advertise products um, and, and then really what the impact of the kiosks is having on on their sales and why not do that for, for snacks, drinks. Um, anything else and then also looking at regulatory influences um right now it's required that you actually inform the consumer before they buy the product what the allergens are what Mm -hmm. the caloric count content is basically all provide all the nutritional information and through a traditional vending machine that's that's simply not possible so we are able to offer all of that so I think there was really there's a market demand it's just the people who should be demanding it aren't yet um and really where you see
2: an opportunity to, to, to disrupt and that's we jumped into it and you of course also needed to have a team around that to actually be able to to build and launch your services your product how do you build your team uh, i think you mentioned you worked with some of them previously
0: yeah, well, it was really funny. It's a startup. So I rented an Airbnb in Serbia and obviously our team, the Xerox team was based in, in Novi Sad. Novi Sad a university town. So there's a, a really large pool of extremely talented and ambitious, um, younger people. So we wanted to do it there um, and the existing team members that, that um, I was able to bring in from, from Xerox, um, they were all based there as well. So. Through our Airbnb, we we made a job advert, and the people who were, yeah, willing to take the risk and show up at some random apartment for a job interview, um, yeah, we were able to see through basically their skills, and they were able to see through our our ambitions, and and um and decided to come join the team. So we really just tried to go through our internal network, so the people that we knew and um, that we trusted because I think at the foundation, all companies, you really need extremely strong individuals who really believe in the vision and also really can be trusted. Um, you don't really have the time or, or the the capability to go back and check everything all the time. It's really, you have to trust the people actually are doing what they're supposed to do.
2: Yeah. And, and common history there, whether from university or working together, I think that can really help you to have that bond and that trust is a successful founding relationship.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we really tried to build it as kind of a family company where everybody, one, owns part of the company and two, that everybody feels that they're they're contributing more than just their normal job. I mean, right. borrowing from from what I had in, in Boston as well, it's um, anybody, anywhere in the company could come up with an idea and then we're able to pursue that idea. No idea is dumb because we're disrupting something. So basically we have to turn choose and evaluate every different opportunity and um i think at least in the balkans that's not really normal they generally do outsourcing and nearshoring so it was also a new opportunity for them to actually have a voice because usually they just work for the hour and um they're told what they're supposed to do and they do it even if they think it's stupid where we don't really have that mentality or that kind of environment we really talk and and discuss sometimes over discuss everything
2: absolutely and in that regard so you now built your team um you, you shared the the common uh, experience from the past what did you then build together as a first step did you build an mvp or how did you then go and move on to actually validate your idea and hypothesis
0: well first we went together with intel they're a really good partner of ours and they had built a an sdk that we could actually um leverage to try to build some sort of an MVP Um, and they had built their own hardware interface boards and and they had a a really pretty rough UI that we could actually start with to kind of give us an idea of how it would work. Um, At the same time, we were also doing market research to try to understand what the industry would afford and also what they might be interested in. So, um, yeah, it was more or less an MVP. Um, one of my first meetings, I, I tried to go with Selecta and, um, they obviously weren't seeing any demand for any of this. So they, they told us they had other things that they were more focused on. Um, but they're, um, owned primarily by KKR an investment fund, Um, and we saw the economics of what we could possibly do for their business. And, um, so I approached KKR, the portfolio manager who who was responsible for, for the Selecta um, company and explained to them basically what kind of opportunity we could do for their business by helping it grow rather than stagnating and only staying with selling products that we can actually leverage some of the locations and um and really push their products, elevate their products to, to a much higher level. And um, so, yeah, basically the, the portfolio manager understood the math really well, which you wouldn't be surprised from KKR, and um, gave us a couple of months to, to build an MVP. And um, Selecta, of course, sent us some, some machines to work with, their own um, old wurlitzer machines. And um, we were able to turn it around in a really short period of time. It probably wasn't from a technical side. It wasn't probably the most beautiful solution, which MVPs tend not to be, but it was functional and it looked really cool. So, um, yeah, I think that's basically how how we moved forward. We proved that we could do it, um, both to our customers and to ourselves. So standing in front of a machine and being able to buy things um, was really a big step for for everyone. We had a, a little... Party.
2: I think that's super impressive. You know, you, you got the first no from Selecta, but you didn't give up. You just found another way around it to make it work. I think that's the entrepreneurial spirit right there at heart. And I also wonder if you could share some of the numbers that you actually then were able to show in in the pilot or that actually convinced KKR to, to take a leap of faith and say, hey, let's test it. That's actually very promising.
0: Yeah. I mean, we have different customers have different, um, have reported different um, uh, impacts on on their sales numbers. I mean, I think it's anywhere between twenty and sixty percent, or eighty, even eighty percent in some markets. Uplift in sales by by um, using digital imagery and and helping with the recommendations engine. For example, traditional vending machines only sell one product. Um, where we have the shopping cart, and we're emulating the the online experience that everyone is very comfortable with, and providing a shopping cart so they can buy multiple products in a single transaction. I think we sell on average one point four roughly, um, products per transaction, where a traditional machine only sells one. Um, And then we're able to, by animating a product on the screen, for example, we've had three different customers around the world confirm that just by animating a product on the screen, um, we're able to increase the sale of that product by at least 50%, which is also pretty tremendous. And then calculating in the, the advertising, which is a extremely disruptive because nobody really does that um in in a, in a digital sense um and you can you can increase um yeah at least tenfold what your your products sales are just through through a new channel without adding any extraordinary costs you're actually saving costs because we're able operationally to to help um the operators see what their machines are doing, how they're performing um, and then guaranteeing that their customers are more satisfied as well. So you'll get a lot more repeat customers. You don't walk away from a vending machine after having beaten it because your product is still hanging there. We digitally see the product hasn't been delivered and and we do everything possible to make sure that we turn it from another channel um, and we're also communicating constantly with the customer, letting them know what's going on and apologizing and if in the end we don't have the product or, or something else is not um, reparable we offer them to buy a different product and um, i think that's something that's been lacking all along the customer service and in, in traditional vending it, it just there was no capability for it so there was no real way to actually deliver it and now we're
2: we're closing that gap you know, This is really mind-blowing. The idea sounds so simple, but it's yet so, so powerful, what you just described. This is really mind-blowing from from my perspective.
0: That's the feedback you generally get from a lot of different customers, FMCGs, or even selected people. They look at it and like, ah, oh, but really, nobody's ever done this before? This is stupid. <laughs> and really, when you see the machine, you're turning a, a, a traditional vending machine into a giant iPad and... and it just makes sense and iPads aren't new and when you stand in front of one of our machines it it's something that you're accustomed to and that you would have expected a long time ago it actually is more that has a converse or adverse effect on, on traditional machines because you're standing in front of it and remembering oh yeah back in high school we had one of these and that was a long time ago so <laughs>
2: why is this still here? And you started in the vending machines business, and I just wonder, is that market actually large enough to build a successful startup around it?
0: Absolutely. I mean, just from a traditional vending market, I think there's over 15 million snack and drink machines in the world. But what we're trying to do, or not trying to do, what we're actually successfully doing is, is accessing parts of the market where vending has never actually been a part of. Um, so we can go into brands like Happy Socks or, or Lint Chocolates, where you have a, a requirement for a premium experience, and and also you have more opportunity um, to leverage some of their marketing um, expertise and, and dollars. And um, so that's actually one one area that we we have uh, or an opportunity for growth beyond what the traditional vending is. But then we also have other products in our pipeline. We've built an ecosystem, so. It's more or less a brain for automated retail, so you don't necessarily need to only have a vending machine. We also have uh, smart fridges, Um, so you can have in a hotel room, for example, you can scan a QR code, see the inventory. Um, We can encourage you to buy other products. We can help you charge it to your room. We can help you use your loyalty points for that. But at the same time, the vending machine down on the hot down in the corner in the hall, um, you can use the same interface and same technology for for all of that. Um, yeah, we also work with the kiosk, so so similar to a, a micro market concept. All of it works on one platform, whereas um, in the traditional market right now, in in this industry at least, um, you basically have to have um, three disparate solutions that somehow have to interface with each other. And myself, coming from a, an IT background, the way we built our solution was to keep it open. We know that all of our customers already have existing systems and and processes in place, and we really want them to leverage those existing processes. So we built it really open with APIs that they can continue using their existing ERP system, for example, and we can just feed our information straight into their ERP system without having to force them to change everything. So
2: disruptive without actually everyone knowing that
0: it's being disrupted.
2: So while the, the vending machine market is just the entry point, the vision is so much bigger. Absolutely. I mean, we had no expectation or plan to actually build vending
0: machines. That that came as, as an accident because nobody in the industry was actually willing to even consider changing how they do things today. And um, there was no real um, access point for us to put our, our solution into. So similar to the... To the uh, what is the iPod and and how Apple actually basically transformed that that market or um, yeah even Microsoft with the PCs in in the right. end you you end up having
2: to build your own equipment at some point just to start getting market traction right. and that's that's what we're doing as well and yeah talking about Microsoft they're actually another partner of of yours besides Intel and I think you work with them in the artificial intelligence space so how does AI also play a role in in your product in your service?
0: yeah I know it's super cool uh, Microsoft has been a, a huge proponent of ours and, and a, a great supporter and um, they're helping us develop different AI components basically algorithms that help our customers have a better experience so similar to what you might find in a fast food restaurant, when you select one product, we actually have a, a complementary product that's that's offered to the consumer um, to try to well, increase their basket size, but also make sure they don't walk away and regret not having something. Um, so we're measuring all kinds of different factors from time of the day, weather, events, to um, age and gender. Combining all of this together to make sure that we actually target the consumer appropriately. And Microsoft is is providing development resources and a platform for for us to do that,
2: which is which is really cool. And today, who are actually your main customers that you're working with? Is there any, you know, thing of a typical buyer persona or customer type?
0: I mean, our biggest customer is an FMCG company, one of the biggest in in the world, and and very much into snacks, um, sweets especially. Um, but yeah, we work a lot with uh, large drink companies and then vending operators. So I mean, obviously, selecta is still still an important customer of ours, but um, yeah, there's some other really Huge global players, and and um, we're working basically with all of them, I think, at this point. So it's um, there's so many opportunities. But then we have the big brands, like uh, as I said, Happy Socks or or Linds. These these companies are also giving us really interesting channels to to pursue. And then there's a huge convenience chain in Mexico um, who wants to do basically something something similar to Amazon Go, but on a much uh, more simplistic level and offer alcoholic beverages um, without having personnel present to check IDs, which we're obviously also able to do. And um, yeah, there's just so much opportunity. That's one of our problems as a startup is trying to channel um, which opportunities
2: are, are are the most favorable that we can actually afford to pursue at this point. And I just wanted to ask you that, because that can be a big challenge by itself, right? How do you get the right focus uh, into your company and, to also focus on the right customers, but the right markets and industries. How do you do that? Because you have multiple different industries that you can serve, multiple products that you could potentially offer them. How do you find the the right focus and the right priorities?
0: I think first we have to try to keep making it fun. So we we try to choose things that would be interesting to, to our team. Um, but also we use yeah markets market research our core customers the ones i mean who helped us build the product we we leverage their information and, and knowledge and experience uh, considerably um and then yeah we we also use it and leverage a lot of partnerships and, and different relationships to try to figure out where we should go and, and how we should do it it's a i would say it's somewhat scientific and and somewhat uh seat of the pants approach where you really you, you, you have to have some
2: sort of instinct for it at some point. Right. And I also wonder how does your business model look like or evolve with the different industries and the different products that you offer? Is there always the same business model behind the, the services that you offer or does it also change from industry or customer that you serve?
0: In general, it's static, but um, there are different variants. Um, so we we try again. We're disruptive, so we're trying to share the pain um, that our customers might might feel from from having to change their business. So, for one, our our hardware we sell it really at cost um because we're just trying to help our customers get into the market which is actually generally cheaper than than other equipment that they might be able to buy in the market Mm -hmm. so that that reduces one pain point um but other ways are are looking at what how they can optimize it so a company who might buy a completely branded machine from us um they're not going to leverage the advertising potential except internally so then we have a different business model um uh, to help them um, versus somebody who might have uh, public uh, vending machines or public operations where we can really leverage some of the, the advertising beyond a single brand. And um, and through that, then we're able to really reduce even fixed OPEX um, to help the cu- customers really make the most out of the, the solution and then all of us profits. So it's, um, yeah, we're not trying to be greedy in any any sense Um, we're really just trying trying to to change how people buy things and um, in the end we'll all be fine I think that's that the market is massive so um, as long as everybody agrees to share and and so far that's how it works then then we're all going to do really well
2: fantastic and another challenge that you actually faced since day one basically is the combination of hardware and software so how do you tackle and solve that? Because often people say, go into hardware or software, but don't combine the two. I can totally
0: agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, we only had to do, we we did hardware, I guess, in the beginning, it was really funny. Um, the hardware team, we had no intentions of even having hardware engineering or a hardware hardware team. And we had hired one consultant to come help us try to fix a, a specific machine based on, on the, the initial designs from Intel. And somehow, I don't know, he ended up taking over the whole company and that ended up being the largest department in the company. But again, it was just because there's nothing else out on the market. So what we've done now because um, we've really stabilized how the hardware design is actually built. And, and it's a standardized framework that works with lots of different machines and different manufacturers, which we've, we've proven. We have the Wurlitzer machines, & Venom machines, and W machines, Avoco. It doesn't really matter. We're able to support all of them. So what we're trying to do is now um, focus our energies more on the innovation and technology side. Um, and then transition our, our manufacturing to, to other companies either through contract manufacturing or, or putting our solutions in in um, machines or equipment from from other manufacturers. So um, I was recently contacted or had meetings with the CEO of one of the largest uh, vending machine manufacturers and um, it was really cool. A couple of years ago, I had similar conversations and they really decided they wanted to go out and try to build their own software solution. Um, But now, after quite a bit of time, they've realized they're experts in hardware and not software. And in in Converse, we're actually experts in, in software and we're not manufacturing people. So combining that now, he sees an opportunity to actually put our software solution in his his machines and um, manufacture machines for us, either with by our design or or, or using their existing um, fleet of machines, which is really cool. And we're finding more, we're getting more traction now that time goes on. I think four years ago when we started the company, almost five years ago, there was really no demand. Customers weren't coming, operators weren't coming and saying, we really need this. But now you have fiscalization requirements in different companies where every transaction needs to be reported to the tax authorities. So they do need to put the machines online. Um, COVID has really helped in in that respect and and driving demand of of digital transactions. So um, people want to pay more with their mobile wallets and their telephones. They also Mm -hmm. want to pay more with credit cards. Um, I think the increase even in Switzerland is over 40%. Um, since since yeah. covid um which resulted actually even in a new product for us we we had to find a way that we could even deliver a complete um transaction without somebody having to touch a machine which we we've, we've since patented um but yeah i think there's there's been a, a lot of demand so i see um ultimately we're going to continue working with designing and building innovative solutions but um In the long term we probably will end up transitioning out of actually building the end machines um and and move that more to either contract manufacturers or or the people who are really good at it we'll design them because that's what we're really good at we're an engineering company primarily a software company
2: um but we don't really need to build them makes sense i wonder in, in that transition if you go more from the harder towards the software part You probably also need different skill sets and different people to actually have the 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 stronger focus on the actual software is that a a big challenge for you to also recruit and hire the, the talent in that regard or how how do you see that
0: i think that's every company has the same problems finding the right people and it's um not necessarily the skills and experience as much as the cultural fit um People can learn basically anything. So um, I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of hiring the right people rather than just people who have a beautiful CV. Um, but yeah, I think all companies struggle to make sure they find people who don't rock the boat or or sink the ship, as it may be. Sorry, a lot of um, analogies. Here. But um, I think, yeah, we... We are a global company, which is helping us a lot. We're not limited to a certain or specific geography, which is really helpful. All of us come from so many different places. I mean, I was born in America. I live in Switzerland. Um, Yeah, our COO Orsina, she was uh, born in Switzerland, grew up in America and now lives in Switzerland. Our CFO is French living in Switzerland. We have an office in Stockholm. Um, everybody travels pretty much all the time. I I don't know actually how many nationalities we are. We have the office in Hong Kong as well. We're constantly growing, and yeah, now we actually have one or two people in in London. So it just we take on people as 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 we find them. And how I introduce or not introduce basically something that I've discussed with all of our employees, especially the initial core team, is. From now on, we don't just have conversations with people. Every conversation you have is a job interview. So it doesn't matter where I am at a coffee shop or or an interview. you're You're always evaluating if if somebody's a right fit for this company and then trying to figure out how you could put them into it and if now is the right time, or putting them back in the bank and deciding that later they would be somebody that we would be looking for. and And that's basically you have to be on it all the time in the beginning a lot of the engineering team they laughed but now they also see that everyone they meet they come back like i I met this really cool person today i was at some sort of a meetup and uh, they had some really cool questions so i asked them for their cv and like that's exactly what you're supposed to do
2: (laughs) amazing (laughs) yeah and what do you look for in people you know to really evaluate whether there's a good culture fit or whether they would make a good addition to your team is there you know, any specific mental checklist that you go through that gets your uh, sort of attention if these boxes are checked?
0: Yeah, ambition. I mean, you really, energy and ambition. We need people who really love what they're doing and, and really want to be a part of something, a change. It's Disruption is really challenging. It's a, It takes a lot of energy and a lot of time and a lot of patience and doors get slammed in your face every day. And we have... Failure after failure and the successes are actually, they look, they're publicized, so they look really good. But there's a lot of time between all of them, not even necessarily time, but a lot of frustration and um, yeah, people who can actually really, really deal with that. And we're building something new. So it's, um, we're also from an engineering side, We, we face challenges and we need people who don't give up. So I, I can't have a bunch of people crying every time we fail. I want people to sit around and think, crap, that happened. Now how do I fix it? And right. come back with a with a proposal for a different solution that may be completely nuts, but it'll probably work. And that's how we've ended up with all of our products. So I think, um, yeah, those are the kinds of people we're looking for. And, um, yeah, where they come from, who they are, that's also, it's, it's really not particularly interesting unless they, it's actually adding to to the culture. So I think it's, um, yeah.
1: Before we continue with the show, we would like to introduce you to our new partner, Nuco. Nuco helps founders navigate the paperwork that starting a company involves. From the first consultation all the way to the commercial register, Newco has helped more than 900 entrepreneurs start their company and they do so at highly competitive prices. To find out more, visit newco.ch Swisspreneur. Again, that's newco.ch Swisspreneur. And now, on with the show.
2: You have your headquarters here in Switzerland, but Switzerland sometimes also enjoys the reputation of not thinking big enough, not being ambitious enough. So, Is that a contradiction or a a bigger challenge to you to find the right people here? Or how do you solve that?
0: I mean, again, we look here in Switzerland and and obviously the the management team, we've been able to find quite a few really good people. Um, But yeah, I think a bigger challenge in Switzerland for all startups is is, uh, getting financing. Um, It's a very conservative country and how people evaluate investments or potential investments is, is not the same as they might in the UK or in Sweden or in the U S they're very risk averse. And I think that's been our bigger challenge is, is trying to get help in the beginning. And, um, basically I emptied my pockets and then started picking the pockets of my friends to try to keep it running. And, that's really, really challenging and that's not unusual for any, any startup, but it took us a lot longer to start getting recognition and, and support from, from people outside the friend, friend circle than I think you would in other, other markets. And from a recruitment perspective, I mean, it's the center of Europe and yeah, we have the best skiing in the world and there's some good mountain biking and climbing. And so that you'll always find, find people that, that uh, either want to come here or are here and, and would be a good fit for our
2: team. So the the quality of life is a strong USP to attract the right talent here. Absolutely. Across the board. I think the whole team is going whitewater rafting next
0: week or actually Friday. Nice. So we like people to really remain active and and I think um, a healthy body leads to a a healthy
2: mind. So that's a cliche as well. I'm full of cliches today. It's really cool. Sorry about that. All good. You also talked about the disruption that you're working on, basically, that you're tackling, that could be a big challenge by itself. So I wonder, you know, who actually stands in your way in that regard? You probably have to change minds and the old thinking habits. So who is standing in your way in that regard to actually, you know, make that disruption happen? <sighs>
0: that can be our own customers sometimes. Um, you're really trying to t- challenge their traditional way of thinking and their, their traditional operations. Um, consumers. I mean, you have multiple generations of people who buy products. So um, yeah, I think Apple and, and these companies weren't super successful in all generations, um, but we're leveraging a lot of their experience to figure out how we can actually approach not just the under 20s or under 40s. We want to make something that's really useful for everyone and usable by everyone. So I think um, yeah, our t- we have challenges. I think across the board, from the um, operator sites, um, I think our, our maintenance people, they've never had anybody who could actually watch what they're doing now through software, we're able to, to measure basically their performance and efficiency. Um, so there'll be some, there has been, we we've measured um, impact, negative impact from people who don't want it to succeed because they don't actually want to be watched um, to, yeah, I think. I can give you a story from from France. It was uh, I, I was sitting with um, one of the heads of engineering there, and um, yeah, basically he told me um, they tested um, vending machines that were were not, they had removed the glass fronts and and um, just put in put in an image. Well, actually, what he told me is they copied our our concept. I was like, okay, that's really interesting. And he said, yeah, we lost. Our sales went down 40%. We just kept losing. We, had to, we basically had to remove and pull the, pull the machines out of the market and throw them away. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. When was that test? And yeah, he said, yeah, I think he didn't say it to one of his, his technicians and they would all been there for 20 or 30 years. That was in 1993. And I was like, 1993? I graduated from high school in 1993. I was like, that's really interesting. My television was this big. Your <laughs> vending machine is this big. How did you get a television inside your vending machine and still have room for products? Everyone at the table just started cracking up. And um, then we realized the mentality was they had tested something a long time ago and it was a failure, but they didn't test. It wasn't like for like. And they weren't understanding at that point what the, what the value of marketing is. The whole world were being bombarded with imagery and, and marketing, but it's not targeted. It's a lot of wasted noise. And through solutions like ours, we're able to help target that marketing and we're really able to, to really leverage the space. And and through advances and advancements in technology, our, our screen is now that big and, and no longer that big. So we can really do a, a lot more. And um, operationally, we can also help them a lot. So getting people who have this old older mindset and, and have really tried things and failed to understand that Things have evolved. That that's a real challenge for us. And it's um, across the board and our customers, management all the way, all the way to to the people in
2: the field who go fill the machines. And I also want to pick up on something that you said before, you know, you emptied your pocket, you invested your money into your own company. You get so many no's down the road to really, you know, try to disrupt that market and make it happen. Was there any a point where you said, Nope, that's it, I'm gonna stop. This is not working. This is not for me. Was there any any sort of moment like that? Of course, I think I've
0: had many of those moments. I think, um, I mean, from an economics perspective, we ran out of money at least four times now. So and then you just sit there and like, why am I doing this? Why am I killing myself for for something that everybody needs, but nobody understands? so, yeah, there's been real challenges um, with that. I also have a young family and and sometimes you really worry how how you're going to make everything work. And I see my friends, they don't work 80 or 100 hours a week and they still live a really good life. But we're trying to do something bigger. It wasn't really about the time investment or the financial investment. It's about change. And um, that's one of the aspects we're looking for in our, our employees and, and team members is that we really want people who want to affect change and they're willing to make sacrifices for it. And so, um, yeah, that's how you generally overcome it. And it also takes my wife in the back. You can't give up now. You've already done this for so many years. You can't quit. You look yeah. stupid. <laughs> so I think um, there is there is some of that as well. But. Um, and then you get little successes. So it feels like everything is going to die. And then the next day a customer calls and and really tells you how great it is and how excited they are and want to move forward and try to help you do that. And and yeah, you just use it as energy and, and lift yourself back up and, and move forward. And so that's how we are. But every entrepreneur goes through that. If if you don't have the stomach for it, then he probably should just stick at a, a
2: big company. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess it's part of the job description. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's also talk about the other supporters that you have. You were actually able to raise money during the COVID crisis um, from investors such as Andreas Pfluger or the people at Muchla Ventures. What will the money be used for that you just raised?
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously we're, we're expanding globally So, um, and we're focused really a lot right now in the North American market from a vending perspective and, and even from the, the micro markets. it's a, a huge growth market for us and that's one of the biggest in the world. So that costs um, growing into these new markets. We have active projects in in 15 different countries at the moment and, and it's continuing to expand. But um, yeah, we use partners or leverage partnerships in those, but... Um, each time, it takes a lot of energy and more resources, generally people and feet on the ground, to actually to make these successful, and um, so that's a, a big part of it. We'll continue investing in in innovation and, and building out the product and in, into new things, and um, yeah, we. I think the first three years we we only spent three percent of our budget on marketing and sales, um, which has um, resulted in, in some pretty significant projects, but. We have a very stable, very cool product now. So we also need to start investing more money into marketing and and sales and and hiring proper salespeople instead of just having um, us engineers standing in front of people and trying to explain how everything works and and, and really make things look shiny and and beautiful. So um, that's that's what we're investing a a lot in innovation and obviously then through
2: manufacturing and, and things like that, that's also very expensive. Amazing. And another thing, if you look at your supporters, is your board. Um, what stood out there is you really have a very diverse board that you set up there. How do you go about the setup and the creation of your board, and how do they actually work together and help you along the journey?
0: As I said earlier, it's all about instinct. So these people are awesome. Um, I think Andreas, the the Mutschler, the whole Mutschler group, and and Herman, they we all just kind of get get along really well and and think the same way and. Um, yeah, there's, nobody's afraid of criticism. Um, we have a dialogue. So it's nobody dictating or, or yeah, basically subjects and, and demanding or anything. Um, we all really understand what we're trying to do and are all very excited about it. So we work really well together. And so the board kind of presented itself really organically. So during the, the capital raise, we saw... I mean, the Mootzlers were really, really active in, in helping us structure it, future proofing basically our financial um, structure. And um, then Herman obviously has been actually it was really funny. I had another <laughs> dialogue with him after he invested, and like, I mean, why why did you invest? And he said, Yeah, actually, the first time I I came to the the pitch, I thought you're you're really nice, but your product, I mean, really, it didn't really excite me at all. said it was the trip home i looked outside and i saw how many vending machines were out in the street and i'd never noticed them before and then i saw there is a huge opportunity for that so um and ever since then he's been really active in in trying to help us grow and obviously having started several of his own companies and, and exited he really he understands what the potential is and also the problems that we have so as a founder it's I have a lot of weird problems that I never expected to have. That none of my friends are able to relate to. Only another person in this position actually would. From yeah, one day not being able to pay any of the bills and trying to figure out how how to make that work. To yeah, how do I hire people and um, what do I do to expand and and grow? Um, to I mean, from the legal aspect, the Mutschlers, they really went through and said all of your contracts are really unusable and you won't be really taken seriously from big funds. If if you actually need to do proper financing, you need to have a better framework in place. And Andreas knows, I mean, he was the CEO of, of Lint for North America. He, he knows FMCGs, he knows everyone and um, he's very energetic. Um, yeah, we've taken him to sales pitches and it's really a different different mentality and a different character than than we're used to but it's super complimentary i mean really the way he he addresses people and the energy that he has he sees it from a mathematical perspective so he just gets really frustrated when people don't really seem to understand that the technology is changing their lives for the better and um he 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 doesn't understand why we have to have a conversation about it. The math is there. The technology is there. He just thinks it should move forward. And and then he just plows through. And um, as a senior manager in a, in a massive global company, that's how it worked before. So yeah, he could right. just sit and say, look, we're going to do that. That makes sense. And uh, he doesn't like all of the necessarily the back and forth and the dialogues because he he. Thinks that people are just wasting their time and they really need to be moving forward so having all of this is really helpful but i also have people that i can call and say look when i have one of those moments where like i really want to jump out of the window i can't do this who say look catch a breath this is what's happening and you're going to be fine and um, yeah take a few minutes and then let's go through and look at the problem analyze it and then we'll find another solution i mean that's that's how it works you you need these people to to, to push you through. Um, good times they help you celebrate, and the bad times they lift you up and 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 carry you
2: through the next part. Yeah, beautifully said. I think this really shows the importance of a strong uh, board to also help you succeed as a company.
0: Yeah, and we really enjoy each other. I think. I think I'm the only person I know who goes to the board meetings and has fun. Like we (laughs) generally laugh a lot. They're they're such nice people and um, I enjoy spending time with them even without the company. So I think um, that that's pretty unusual. And again, it's it's luck. We didn't know each other before. We all kind of ran into each other through this experience and... um, I, I think it's a real privilege, same as the management team and, and all the way through the engineering team. We we all just kind of get each other and we're not always best friends, but um, yeah, in the end it's all, it's all for the greater good and everybody understands that and, and we're able to move forward.
2: So you're really on board on an exciting journey. You already gave us a small sneak peek about what you plan to do with the funds that you just raised. I also wonder: Have you ever thought about an exit scenario to sell the company or to do an IPO? Of course, actually, in the beginning, no. I I didn't really think that far ahead. But don't tell
0: anyone. Um, no, I think um, we've we've had a couple of companies approach us uh, about purchasing the company. Um, they weren't really a, a strategic fit, and they really didn't. It wasn't the right time. Um, we aren't really finished with our our journey yet. So um, we we ne- need to figure out basically how to continue along the path that we've, um, defined. And I think for exits, yeah, we would consider anybody who can help us propel, um, along that journey or along that path and, and, and continue. Um, We're nowhere near finished, um, but there are companies who might be able to help us actually reach the target faster. be it through financing or be it through experience and and network. Um, so yeah, we're always open to having discussions, and um, yeah, we just—it's not money. It's um, it's much more for us about actually doing something I didn't sacrifice and none of us sacrificed the last years of our lives just to fill our bank accounts quickly. And in the end, all we would do is walk away and and do it over again. So I think it makes more sense to actually do something where we can actually fulfill what we were were trying to do.
2: Really chasing that vision. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. So we wrap up the conversations where we talk about personal gadgets and resources that you can share. Do you have anything that you can share with our listeners today that you use yourself on a regular basis?
0: I love the Remarkable too. So I think that's a it's kind of like a notepad. I um, Yeah, we're also trying to take this green approach. So we we reduce uh, our, our carbon footprints as much as possible. And um, yeah, one of the things is actually reducing paste, paper usage. So the Remarkable allows us to do that. But the technology is so evolved it can translate your, your handwriting, even my horrible handwriting into typed text. I think that's really cool. So um yeah, for Christmas this year we got the whole the whole management team Remarkables and I think everybody cool. really enjoys using them. So yeah, I think that's the most innovative thing I I don't really play video games or or really play around with much other stuff than that, but that's my favorite
2: tech gadget for the That's for a the cool moment. recommendation. And as a last part, we also have some rapid fire questions for you. Uh-oh. I give you either a short question or a selection of different choices. Okay. You have to make a choice or answer in, in one sentence. Are you ready? All right, go. How many hours of sleep did you get last night? Three. Wow, that's not that much.
0: No, I have a three year old and a two year old, and okay. I think they came into our room about five times last night.
2: Yeah, fair point. 40 <laughs> hour work week or four hour work week? <laughs> probably both not accurate. and uh, No, very far off on both of them. Chocolate bar or chips? Chocolate bar. Easy choice. Only dark chocolate, though. Fair point. Is the customer always right? No. <laughs> I think with your disruption story, you probably might had, a, had a few experiences on that. Sometimes they just need to be convinced. <laughs> exactly. And the last one, Switzerland or the United States? Switzerland. That's also so easy for you to choose. Of course. I love visiting America. I'm, I mean, I'm American at heart,
0: but um, my family, my life, everything is here. So, and the Alps are, are here. I know you have, we have great uh, mountains. The Rocky Mountains in America are really beautiful, but um, uh, you have 10 days of vacation. And <laughs> I don't think you can do that much in 10 days. So I, I think the quality of life for me is a better fit here in Switzerland
2: amazing. John, thank you so much for stopping by. It was really cool to cover your story and the impressive journey of how you built your company. And we wish you all the best and lots of success for the future global expansion.
0: Perfect. Thank you very much. I appreciate taking the time.
1: This episode was brought to you by Swisspreneur's main partner, Clara Business, the digital all-in-one solution for small businesses. Managing internal processes manually and on paper wastes an incredible amount of time. That's why Clara digitizes everything, allowing you to focus on what really matters, your core business. Go to clara.ch to find out how your business administration can be simpler, faster, and more efficient. Again, that's clara.ch.